Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, I am uh, super excited uh, for this morning. I want to welcome everybody who is both uh, here and everybody who is uh, streaming the service online. Uh, We have been in a series over the last several weeks. We've been talking about truth. We've been talking about scripture. And uh, this has been a great, I think, privilege and a great opportunity for us to begin to think more deeply. One of the things that we've been saying every now and again... Uh, every now and again uh, across the year, uh, I like to move us into some spaces where I, I say it this way, we're going to love God with our minds. And uh, it's been fun for me as, as your founding pastor to watch over the years how we have learned to do this and how we have learned to, to lean into some deeper things, to kind of push the edges a little bit and to grow and to learn. And uh, one of the real privileges uh, that we have in this series is to learn from uh, some folks, I think, who are especially, especially gifted uh, in this area. Uh, everything that we've been doing in this series connects to a verse. We're going to put the verse on the screen, and I want us to read this out loud together. This is one more time. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is our theme for verse for the series. Let's read it. Ready? Go. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And uh, one of the things at Community of Hope that we believe strongly in is the preservation of the faith that has been handed down to us. There actually is a discipline, there actually uh, is a a faith that we can uh, receive from those who are before us and then hand off. Uh, I'm so excited about this as a church family because as a staff, we lean into this value. I was thinking about this in the last couple weeks. Uh, our, our executive worship leader, Keith Torres, has been off. Uh, he was away for a week in Colorado studying with a group called 10,000 Fathers, working on his craft and his calling. This past week, Jessica Stafford, who heads up our family ministry, uh, is working on a master's degree, spent a week up at Asbury Theological Seminary. And th- this is kind of what is happening behind the scenes. And so this morning, I am privileged uh, to welcome uh, to our stage two uh, precious men who are connected to our church, Dr. Vic Copan, who is an expert and a theologian in the New Testament, and Dr. Nathan Maxwell, also connected to our church, who is an expert and a theologian in the Older Testament. And we're going to field the questions that you guys have been offering to us over the last uh, several weeks. So as uh, Vic and Nathan come, would you welcome them as they come to our stage this morning? All right. Awesome, awesome. Welcome, guys. It's good to have you. And I don't know if you know, I don't want to embarrass Vic. Vic, Vic had a little uh, little surgery this week on his ticker, and uh, it, it, it all came out okay. I, I told him, I said, when, when we were scheduling all this, I said, hey, don't mess this up. I don't want to do this without you. So uh, if I say anything weird, it's the meds. <laughs> okay, that's great. And... Uh, I'm just delighted to have both of you guys with us, and uh, we're going to jump in. Now, here's the rules of what we're going to do. We're going to answer 
uh, the questions that you guys have sent us in. And so we had enough material that here's what I told the guys we were going to do. We met uh, this past week to kind of connect, put all the connective tissue together. And what I said is we're going to answer questions at nine o'clock and a different set of questions at 1030. So you'll actually be able to see both of those uh, expressions. This will give us an opportunity to stretch a little bit further uh, in our content. So I'm, I'm pumped about having them. So we're going to jump right off. And Nathan, I'm going to ask you a question first. Is one of the things that we were talking about across this series, uh, we had this uh, question that came in a couple of times, uh, is we often talk about the Bible. We just read a verse of scripture that talks about uh, scripture being useful. But how did the Bible come together? Who decided? Who was it who decided which books are made into the Bible? Sometimes we hear the word, the canon of Holy Scripture. Help us out a little bit with that. So uh, that's a really uh, good question. Um, I think sort of the question behind the question is, um, how can I rely on Scripture when its borders were sort of drawn up by people? Right. And how can I, you know, continue to trust the Bible as a reliable guide? Right. Um, And then the question of canon is actually a really big question. So you kind of opened with a really broad topic. That's Um, what I'm going to do all morning long right there. (laughs) We could spend a lot of time sort of talking about that, um, and I spend a maybe lot of time you want to ask maybe you want to answer the question: What is canon? What is canon? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the rule um, the word just means a rule or measure. Okay. It actually refers to a a plant, canon, a, a reed, a measure. Okay. And so the idea of canon is um, the the measure or the standard uh, of uh, books that would be authoritative for the church. Okay. That's what we mean. Like what what books are canonical and included, and what books are not. Help us out here a little bit, because sometimes I think we have a a perception in the church, those of us who are striving to learn and understand these things, that, you know, when when God, by the power of his spirit, was uh, inspiring people to write, that it was almost like this, you know, they're going to, they're hearing words, they're writing down, it's almost like a dictation. It's not exactly that. So help us a little uh, around that idea, how it came together. What, what, what is it that we would really want to know around that kind of thing? Yeah, that's a great place to begin. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Brandon talked about the idea. Very of, briefly, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> the devotional, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, about the idea of plenary inspiration, that God oversees the process. And um, I would extend that idea not just to the authors who write the text, okay. but the idea that God oversees and inspires the process of okay. canonization as well. And so, you know, normally for this conversation about canon, we hear um, a lot of references to important figures in history. And you can kind of rattle yep. off the list. Council of Jamnia in 90, they're talking about the books in uh, the Old Testament. Eusebius in the 4th century, talking about the books in the New Testament. The really big one is... Athanasius in 367 yep. writes a letter and says, here's the 27 books of the New Testament. And it kind of goes on and on, even until 1546 at the Council of Trent. And so there's these moments uh, where people um, mention lists. But the, the important thing to communicate is those don't really canonize books. They're these formal acknowledgments of a status that already exists. And so Helpful. to answer the question directly... Um, who decides which books are in the Bible. It's really um, communities of faith, just like this one, who are filled with people who live a lifetime of Mm -hmm. Christian faith, 
generation after generation. The Holy Spirit works through that um, to decide Great. which books are included and which books are not. And so these, these folks like Athanasius, they're just they're able to make a mark in the historical record, but the actual process is the Holy Spirit in communities of faith. And that builds um, a, a kind of immutable record. Um, it's a very powerful witness. These books, there's uh, a thousand lifetimes of vetting um, that these are the books that truly bear witness to um, God's self-saving uh, work in history. Guys, yeah, super helpful because, you know, I think with Community of Hope has such a passion for people who are finding their way, and we like to create environments, really. I think what is the, at the heartbeat of our church is create environments where people can take their next right step. And oftentimes in conversations with people, this is like a question that people will have, you know, because they, you know, they'll say to me, I see you get up, or another communicator will get up, and you open the word, you read it. How can I trust the reliability behind that? I, I was thinking about this, Vic, a question for you. Since the Bible we have, okay, has been copied and translated, quite honestly, over and over and over, how do we trust that it actually contains the words that the original writers actually said? That's a great question. A lot of people think that the way we got the Bible was a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, kind of like the, the uh, telephone game. And the first person says something, the last person hears something totally different. Is that the case? Well, let's, talk about the, let's first talk about the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to give you an example of how careful the Jewish people were in preserving their scriptures. In, in 1941, there was a discovery right near the Dead Sea in the caves there of thousands of ancient manuscripts from a community called Qumran. And among these thousands of manuscripts, there was the scroll of Isaiah, the entire scroll. Um, up until that point, um, the oldest manuscript they had of the, the, the book of Isaiah was from 980 AD. So that was a thousand year span. What happened uh, when the scholars examined these two copies? They discovered that 95% was word for word identical. And the other 5% were minor slips of the pen and, uh, and, and uh, uh, different kinds of wording, different spelling, basically. Okay? So, um, and uh, they had other books that were uh, from the Old Testament that were discovered there. And the same process was there. They were very careful about the wording uh, and preserving that. Now let me talk about the, uh, old, the New Testament. Um, now I'd like to show a chart, um, yeah. if you could throw that up there. In the left column, you'll, you'll see um, uh, famous authors from the ancient world and when they wrote. And then at the bottom, you'll see uh, the, the New Testament when it was written. Um, between 33 and 95 AD. Um, 33 is a bit early, but uh, it's in that range. Um, and then in the next column, you'll, you'll see the first um, manuscript, the first copy that we have that was found. Um, and you'll see um, at the top again, you can see a thousand-year difference um, of the other manuscripts, but look at the New Testament. We have manuscripts that go back to the second century within less than a hundred years or so of uh, when it was first written. Now, 
Uh, scholars tell us who study these documents that the lifespan in circulation of these, of these papyri, papyrus documents was about 150 years. That means it's very likely that the originals were, the, uh, were what the, the actual documents that were discovered, the copies that we have, were written copying off of those original documents. Okay? And in, in the history of, of, of writings, this is just astonishing yeah. to have that. Okay? And then in the last column, you'll see that um, the number of documents that we have. And again, look at how many we have from the New Testament. We've got over 5,000 um, of them. And what's interesting, what's important to know is that the more documents you have, the more you can compare, and there's a whole science called the science of textual criticism that helps uh, scholars determine what was the original um, when you're comparing all these documents. And scholars are convinced that they have 99, they're 99% sure of the original. Okay? And um, what they've done is they've compiled that original in, in this New Testament. It's a Greek New Testament. And, um, and so you can read the original, what is 99% sure, the original Greek here. Now, how does that fit in um, with the translation, um, with our Bibles, our modern translations, like the NIV that we have here? Yeah. Well, um, I know a number of the members of the NIV translation committee, and what they do is they use this Greek New Testament and they translate directly from that. Okay? So it's not going through generation after generation of copies. It's going straight from the original to the NIV translation that you have um, in your hands or in your phone. So I want to ask real quickly. I want to put the, put the image back on there, guys, if you could do that. I, I want to draw attention. I want you, because a lot of times when people are asking me questions sort of around all of this, they uh, assume, I think, that the, the, that the Bible that we accept as the Bible, this just stands in line with all these other historical documents, and it's just, you know, it's reasonably all around the same kind of idea. So there's no special thing with that. I think if you notice, again, what he's pointing at, two things. I want you to notice how quickly the Bible began to be formed among the first generation of those who are actual eyewitnesses. To Jesus, we often say this uh, in the church that Christianity didn't really begin around a person. It began around a movement, an event. The event being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you see, you see that, and then you'll notice what Vic is sharing: the number of copies there. That's significant for us, and I want you to notice that because I think a lot of times we we think this is only sort of within our own faith. We have, you know, we're we're kind of putting our arms around uh, you know, our sacred documents and what, what's the evidence, so to speak, outside of, the, of Christianity with respect to our, our sacred documents. You can see how important this is and powerful. I like to say, too, I, for the first time, understand now textual criticism. That was not my best class in seminary. So 
I want to thank you for that. Yes. One of the questions that I think relies, uh, that, that comes around this, Vic, I'll come back to you. We're really talking about authority and reliability. Um, sometimes in our Bibles, we will notice that certain verses have been omitted. I think of John chapter 5. I think if you look at the Gospel of John, most of us will see in our New Testaments, at the end of the Gospel of John, it'll say some translations don't have this. Help us understand like what made it in there, what didn't make it in there. That's kind of an important thing. I think the nice thing about your Bibles is that they're very honest. Okay, So when you come to a place like John 5 verse 4, you'll see a footnote and it'll tell you that some early manuscripts do not have this verse, or there's a word, there's a different word in some manuscripts, etc. They're they're honest about that. How did that happen? Well, um, go back. Let's go back to 1611 uh, when the King James version was was the major English translation yeah. uh, that was available in the English language. Um, when that was translated, the the people who did the translating had had very few manuscripts to work with, and they were later manuscripts. When the age of archaeological discovery began, thousands of manuscripts were discovered that weren't available to those Mm. who were translating the King James. And um, when uh, they began to look at those the manuscripts that were used for the King James Version yeah. and looked at the earliest ones, they noticed these differences. And um, again, these textual critics began to notice that, that the scribes, the, the people who were copying later, um, saw some things that were puzzling to yeah. the reader then uh, in the later centuries, and they would insert their own, cop, their own comments or they'd give a different word. Um, or sometimes in the Gospels, they noticed um, something that Mark left out, that they'd, that they'd take something from Luke and put it into Mark. Okay? Yeah. Well, the nice thing is that those things, when you're comparing it, they're easily discovered. And, uh, and so, uh, but, but then uh, it, the Bibles are very honest. They'll tell you about those kinds of things. And um, I think that's really helpful. Um, and I think um, one of the things that should really give us confidence is just that. The Bible, um, everything that these translators do, they document. They, and they, they put it in the footnotes and they say, well, you check it out. Um, which makes best sense mm-hmm. that was the original? Uh, that's super uh, helpful because, you know, it's interesting that idea when you talk about, I, I think of like, for example, the accounts of the resurrection. Uh, and I've always thought, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, which you're always really good to do if I'm wrong, but um, that, you know, th- like, for example, in the resurrection accounts, Jesus first appeared to women. And that would have been something, I think, because women had a lower view. They were thought of in a lower way right back in biblical times. And you would have think that would have been something that the writers of Scripture, those documenting those accounts, would have not wanted to say that because it would have lowered. And I think it really actually, in a, in a counterintuitive way, shows the reliability of Scripture, right? Because it's just what happened. It's a fact. They write it. It's there for all to see. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. 
Okay. Um, I think the same thing is true just real quickly too around um, sometimes uh, a question we had, are there contradictions in the Bible? How, how can we trust it if sometimes d- there are things that seem to contradict? Can you help us with that? Um, I'll, I'll have Nathan start on that one. Great. For the Old Testament. Awesome. So um, the first thing I'd like to just kind of um, point out and kind of talk about is that um, not all contradictions are created equal. There's some okay. sort of different sort of categories that we might talk about. Um, an example that um, my students will often ask about um, or that I'll often use in class is, you know, in Chronicles, um, Saul is buried under an oak tree. Yeah. And if you go over from the chronicler and go over to the historian and Samuel, he's buried under a tamarisk tree. And so this seems kind of like a, a contradiction. And these sorts of contradictions, I think, um, they're... The best way to think about them and address them is uh, to think about the genre and the purpose of of Scripture. Sometimes we will read poetry in its figurative language um, and not really take into account that it's figurative language and poetry and sort of misread it that way. Um, And then um, it's important to think about what the purpose of Scripture is. The, Mm -hmm. The purpose of recording Saul's death is... Um, to show the sort of tragic end to his repeated disobedience to the covenant. And both the chronicler and the historian, they have a theological purpose. Um, Their purpose isn't really sort of the botanical practices of burial rites. Um, And so that's that's sort of the unimportant thing to think about. I don't really use the Bible to figure out how to change my oil. Or when Vic says, hey, I got this weird rash on my foot, can you tell me what that is? I I don't say, let me grab my Bible. I probably shouldn't have brought that up. I did send you an email about that. <laughs> but but there are other sorts of contradictions that are larger, um, uh, competing concepts. Like, you know, is God sovereign over everything that happens, mm-hmm. or do my choices matter? Am I, am I saved great. by grace? And if that's true and you're saved by grace, then yeah. what is the point of service and sacrifice wow. in the in the church? And really my response, I and mean, we can talk about sort of um, philosophical frameworks yeah. to put those in, but really what I would say comes more from my, from my faith. I sort uh-huh. of began that journey uh, as a, you know, a student myself. I, I had these contradictions that I wanted to prosecute you know, and get to the bottom of it. And I would, I would say now that those have become um, not contradictions that I wanted to prosecute, but tensions that I really genuinely yeah. cherish. Yeah. Um, do I feel like I can look back over my life and see God's uh, hand in it and guiding it? Yeah. Yes. Do, do I feel like the choices that I make and what I think and what I do, that that matters? Yeah. I do. And Scripture accounts for those tensions in my own experience and makes sense of my faith journey yep. and then reads me into the story of the divine drama. And so oh. you know, th- there's a handful of tamarisk tree contradictions and i just don't think they matter don't don't worry about them don't try to solve those yeah and instead of trying to resolve those tensions i i would encourage folks to to take them in let them live inside you and and they'll change your life i'm grateful for them oh my gosh super good uh vic you want to add something sure let me add some things from the new testament because the new testament is very different um in this area and the first thing i think we have to realize and and a lot of this has to do with the gospels okay uh, the first thing we have to realize is that the way um, the ancient world um, of the New Testament did history was in some ways different 
and in some ways similar to how we do history today. Um, and um, so, like I said, the four Gospels do have some small differences in how they tell the story, and you can categorize them into three main areas. Okay? The first area would be um, what the differences in the words that people said that Jesus said. Then there's a difference in chronology of how the Gospels uh, were written. And then there's a difference in the details that were included in, uh, in the Gospels. Let me say a few things about um, each one. First of all, the historians of the ancient world um, weren't concerned to uh, capture exactly word for word what a person said. They actually couldn't because they didn't have a recording device. Okay? And it was only with the recording device that we got really careful about the actual words. Ancient historians were concerned, and they had a much better memory, so they recalled a lot more than we do today, but they were concerned to give, uh, to, be, to be faithful to what the speaker said. So there are examples of one historian that gives a speech of a king in two or three different places, and you'll notice they don't record it exactly the same way, but they're faithful to what that speaker said, mm. okay? Um, and that's where, where there's a little bit of a difference in the historians today and, and um, back then. As far as chronology is concerned, it's still a common practice in biographers today to have different schemes of how they do their biography. So, uh, for example, someone doing, auto, uh, doing a biography of Abraham Lincoln might start with the Gettysburg Address yeah. because that was kind of like a defining marker or the Civil War yeah. and then go back to the early life and then maybe have a chapter on the speeches and maybe have a chapter on, on things that he did in politics, etc. Another biographer would, would set up things much more chronological. And that's what you discover when you look at the Gospels. Every uh, gospel writer was, had a purpose in telling the story and told it faithfully, but told it differently. Okay? Um, and then, um, with regard to the details that are different in the four gospels, it's true you'll see minor differences. Okay? So, how many times did the rooster crow before Peter denied Jesus? Matthew, Luke, and John say three times, and uh, Mark says two. Or what color robe was Jesus wearing um, at, at his trial? Mm -hmm. Matthew says it was scarlet. Mark says it's purple. But these kinds of differences don't really matter that much. And you can see these kinds of differences come up when today there's an accident that happens. Yeah. Okay? So um, was the car that ran through the intersection red or, uh, or green or blue, okay? It doesn't matter, but everyone agrees that that car uh, ran through the intersection mm -hmm. and caused an accident, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and we actually learned, Kathy and I, from a police detective at Community of Hope, that um, if there are witnesses to a crime, um, if they say exactly the same thing, there's a high degree that they were of, of probability that they were colluding together. So it's actually a sign of authenticity that you see these differences in the four Gospels. Wow. Okay? Um, and for us, um, the big point 
that is true uh, that you see in all the Gospels, despite some of the minor differences, they are all very clear on the main point. Jesus was crucified and Jesus was resurrected. Mm. Um, Amen. And um, I think that's, uh, there might be discrepancies that we can't figure out. Um, like Nathan they don't bother me because those kinds of discrepancies are really minor and insignificant. What I, what I love about this and with it, both of you are sharing and Nathan, what you were sharing a moment ago, that it was sort of like a case you wanted to take up and you wanted to defend. I know that for me, just a personal word as one of your pastors, I felt like in the early days of my faith, that was, that was really where I was. And I, before I made a commitment to Christ, I would, I would focus on the apparent inconsistencies. And really, to be honest with you all, and I've, I've noticed this with sometimes with people that I'm talking to because I had the same thing going on in me. If I could find an inconsistency that I could push on, then all the things that were not inconsistent were the word of Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit was wanting to have some conversation with me about some things going on in my life, I didn't want to really have that conversation. So there was really something else up underneath that. It's almost like the moral question that runs uh, up underneath that. Super, super helpful. All right, I want to ask, since we're really talking about um, these sort of things between Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Co- Covenant, here's a powerful question, Nathan. I want to come to you. Why uh, that we got, why has God allowed evil to exist since the Garden of Eden, and then he does not allow it in heaven and in the new earth? Uh, good luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting all the hard questions. <laughs> Mine were easy. Right. <laughs> um, it, it is... Um, it is a really good question. Um, I've, I've never been in a classroom where we got anywhere near, you know, Genesis 3, where someone didn't ask. Um, in all honesty, we're probably not going to get to the bottom of the problem of evil here. Um, yeah. if, you were, if you were hoping I was going to untangle that for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and it is kind of, it's a large problem that um, theologians have been sort of tangled up with for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the way that the question's worded, why does God permit evil, um, focuses the question on um, trying to understand what, what the purpose of God's actions is in permitting and restricting evil. Yeah. Um, and then also sort of encompasses the entire, you know, scope of Scripture. Yes. And so we, we really don't have time to do that here. That's a little bit above my pay grade. But um, if, you, if you think about the entry of evil into the world, so think about Genesis 3, um, it doesn't focus as much on trying to explain why God permits or restricts evil so much. Um, in fact, um, I, I love students for their honesty and the way that they, you know, they read scripture. And for most of my students, the, the serpent who's a creature, but somehow crafty and talks and nobody's concerned about that, it raises more questions than it solves, really. And what the storyteller chooses to focus on is the man and the woman who choose not to trust God. They're afraid. I think the underlying thing there is fear. They choose not to trust God. God doesn't have my interest in mind, and so I'm going to declare my autonomy and look out for my own interests in my own way. And the result of that choice is actually what brings evil into the narrative. So from the inkling of the story, 
the Bible presents the focus as a divine human relationship. It presents it as a real relationship where human agency, what people think and do and how they choose and how they act, um, it really matters. Human beings are playing with real lives and real chips. Yeah. And when they choose not to trust God as having yeah. their interests in mind to yeah. preserve them, um, the result is destructive evil. Yeah. So I think yeah. that human agency, human choice, and free yeah. will is where we see the the workings of evil in the biblical story. I think that's really helpful. I mean, it begs sort of a, a bigger question, I think, that a question that I would have maybe as a follow-up with it, because you are really you know, dedicated your life to understanding and helping other people understand the Old Testament. What should our relationship be with the Older Testament? Uh, there's sometimes a struggle or a question there. Yeah, so I, I teach a, a class that's just kind of a general survey of the Old Testament, and this is the very first. Before we read the syllabus, I say, okay, why are you here? <laughs> and, of course, they say, Dr. Maxwell, this is a required class. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but <laughs> okay. otherwise, um, I say, okay, why would a university that's you know, focused on New Testament Christian faith require an Old Testament class? And I, I start with um, uh, uh, something that Paul says. Um, I'm not sure it's a good idea to try to boil all of Christianity down to one verse, but in 2 Corinthians 5, I love it when Paul says, in Christ, God is reconciling the world. Great. Love that expression. Um, but if you think about it, um, what is it that's broken that needs to be reconciled? How did that get broken? Yeah. What sort of God would want to reconcile that anyway? Right. And how does it make any sense that God coming to dwell among the people would have this redeeming effect to fix it? So the, the New Testament story, in many respects, doesn't make a whole lot of sense right. outside of the framework of the Old Testament story. So the historical, literary, theological framework in which the New Testament does its thing is really the Old Testament story. But it's more than just like background, all right? It's more than just like the, you know, the, the biblical universe in yeah. which Jesus makes sense. Yeah. There's also an endless um, treasure of formation, there's characters that you can identify with yep. in your walk of faith. Yep. There's psalms that will teach you how to pray yeah. and how to worship. Um, there's a spectrum of the, the human experience of faith that the Old Testament can invite you in and grow you yeah. and shape you. So. Yeah, super good because, you know, one of the things we teach here at Community of Hope, I've, I've done it now for, my goodness, I don't know, um, decade or two, like teaching people how to journal in the scriptures. And uh, a lot of times when I'm inviting new, I, I do this with a group of men, when I'm inviting new, new men into that group, you know, we have a reading plan that'll take us through the Old Testament, New Testament. I will get permission for people to stay in the New Testament if, it's, if, if they're learning. And, and, and kind of we get our chops around us and then we go back um, into the Old Testament. So, so even those things that are difficult to understand, even those things that are hard for us, you would say just, just keep reading, keep getting Scripture in your mind, keep getting Scripture in your heart. Um, Vic, I want to come over to you because of something that Nathan said here. We, we talk about interpretation. Why are there so many interpretations of the Bible? That's um, a really good question. Um, <laughs> And I think the root of that question, uh, the root reason, is that every one of us, when we're reading the Bible, we bring our own history 
and our own culture to it. So think of it this way. Um, Hand a person in the Middle East the Bible that's never read it before. Hand hand someone in Japan a Bible. Hand someone in in America a Bible and ask them to read it and ask them to tell you what what, what it says. They will just be reading from their culture. Okay? We can't help that. But how do we how do we get to the true interpretation? I think the the the, the starting point has to be assuming that when the author wrote something, they wrote it with one purpose, with one meaning. And they wrote it using words that made sense in that culture. So it's important to do as much work as you can to yeah. understand what the original author meant when, he's, when he was using those words. Yeah. Um, and I, let me make a couple suggestions um, about that. I think um, one important principle uh, is to let the Bible interpret itself. By that I mean, um, and this is what, what you were saying and what you were saying earlier, is um, if you read the Bible constantly and constantly bring into uh, conversation the passage you're reading with other places, you'll more and more discover what the, what the true That's meaning great. is. Okay? Another thing that I think is really helpful is reading the, the Bible in groups and particularly listening to how people in other cultures read the Bible. That's great. Because sometimes um, I discover I have blinders on with how I've been reading it, and I've changed my mind because a dear brother from Africa or from India, yeah. like in my PhD seminar, points things out that I never would have known. Yeah. Okay? Another thing that I think is helpful is, um, is when you come to a text, don't assume you know what it means. Okay? Have a humble heart and ask yourself, um, am I missing something? Uh, what is Paul saying here? Um, in that context, having that open and teachable and humble heart will will allow you to, I think, get closer and closer to, to the um, to the true interpretation. You know, um, this is so helpful. One one of the things I want to say this as we wrap up when um, when I was growing up, and uh, a lot of the church knows many of my stories. They don't know all of them but they know many of them. And, and um, you know, we went to church. My family went to church. And in the early days of my life, I didn't fully understand and connect with it. But I began to notice as I got a little older that the pastors at the churches that really had an impact on my life, uh, frankly, came from the seminary that I went to. And when I became a follower of Jesus, um, I... There was never an opportunity for me really to ever think about going anywhere else. And if I drill into that, these were, these were men, these were women who, who approached the Bible with the kind of spirit you just represented. And uh, one of the things that I love about Nathan and one of the things that I love about Vic is you can hear their expertise, you can hear their wisdom and their knowledge, but, but church, can you hear their heart? coming through. So I want to close just quickly by asking, so Nathan, I mean, here you are, scholar of the Old Testament. What does the Bible mean to you right now? And Vic, what does it mean to you? 
So um, a, a couple of weeks ago, Brandon's, what, what are we calling it? De- devotional uh, homily? Ser- sermonette. Sermonette. Mm-hmm. Um, he made this uh, comment that uh, Scripture uh, reads us. And um, that's really kind of the language that I, I would use, that um, the, the Bible has um, made sense out of my life helped me um, to see myself for who I am or who God intends me to be, yeah. helps me to see uh, my wife and my children and those around me yeah. um, in the image of God. Um, and so it has, it has spoken the language, provided the underlying grammar for the nature and value and the purpose of my life and the lives around me. So it's, awesome. I guess you could say it's pretty fundamental. Great. Vic? Well, for me, I'll, I would say I'd echo all that, all that Nathan would say, but um, I'll just give you a, uh, an example of, of the practice that I do to, to illustrate its purpose, its, um, how, how it works in my life. And that is um, every, every morning, uh, Kathy and I uh, get up um, between 5.30 and 6. Usually Kathy's up before I am. She's more spiritual. Um, and uh, we, we put on a cup of coffee, uh, and then we... we uh, we read our Bible separately. We read the same couple chapters, uh, and uh, we we use the soap method. Um, and and then after after we do that, we go on a walk together, and we talk about what we've uh, discovered, what God's speaking to to us, mm-hmm. and then we pray that into our lives, and we pray for each other and our kids. And I, I that's been the most formative spiritual practice that I have I have done, wow. and. Uh, the, the the insights that I've had, the the changes of mind and heart that I've had in that has been uh, really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Can you see why I love these guys, church? Can you just see it? Amen. Um, I want to say this in closing. Um, we're we're a high view of Scripture church, and I love that we can lean in uh, on these things. And I and I'm so grateful. You know, and I know this is your heart. I, I don't need a PhD to open God's Word and to learn. And uh, um, I commend that to every one of us. You're gonna, you are going to decide where you get your truth. You're, you're, you've already decided. And uh, we live in a culture. We live in a day where there are lots of opportunities are right on the other side of those wooden doors that you're going to walk out in just a few moments. And we want you to know that this is our understanding of where real truth comes from. Real truth for your life. Can we bless these guys? Can we just thank them? All right. Amen. Let's stand together and receive a benediction. Now, will you go from this place armed with a new desire to know the truth and to walk in the truth, mindful that Jesus says he is truth and that if you know it and if you know him, he will set you free. Go in the freedom that he offers to you so that your life would bring honor to him and that your life would point people toward him. Go in his peace and in his love. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Take care. Wow.